Barb. Hey, Kelly, good to see you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, you're welcome. You see you're in, you're in your classroom. I am, so yeah. I'm a school teacher. I have a combo this year, fourth and fifth. Um, so, you know, we're, we're working online, but it's easier to work from school. So here's where I spend most of my days <laughs> on Zoom. <laughs> well, so many families that I know have, um, have known over the years have been reaching out with incredible stories of success about their kids. And so I started this project because I was thinking back 25 years ago, my very first job was in Waltham, Massachusetts for a nonprofit. And our job specifically was to move adults that had grown up in the Fernald State School. The Fernald State School was started in 1848. It was an institution that was originally called the Experimental School for Teaching and Training Idiotic Children. Um, and it was actually the site where a number of the folks living in institutions were test subjects for all kinds of things, including sterilization and radiation experimentation. And so when I'm thinking back on that, you know, in California, same thing happened. If you had a child that had any suspicion of any kind of developmental delay, even a physical um, kind of concern, those kids were automatically told and parents were told to put them in an institution. And there were, in 1964, which is not that long ago, there were 13,500 people residing in four overcrowded institutions in California. Adults were pulled out of institutions and state hospitals are still finalizing closing and things. And then if you think about that, as a BCBA, families could not access ABA services until 2013. <laughs> I'd love it if you would share with me your story of when Joey was diagnosed. Okay, well, Joe is one of those typical, he's Joe now, that he's grown up. I <laughs> was about sixth, seventh grade when he had to be Joe. Um, those of us that knew him could still call him Joey, of course. Um, <laughs> So he was diagnosed. Okay, so here's what happened, basically. He was your typically developing kid. He was, I remember, at 12 months, climbing up the stairs, counting the stairs. It was so, I'm a school teacher, right? So I was so proud of him, counting to like 20 at a young age. I was like, oh my gosh, he's so smart, you know? And then around 15 months, he stopped developing, basically. It's like he was kind of at 18-month level, and he stopped. And he lost his words, he lost his pointing, he lost his joint attention, he lost all those things. And um, he didn't talk again until he was four and a half. Like, he didn't say complete sentences. He, he had labels, but that was it. And so at 18 months, I was like, huh, something's going on. But I knew something. So I had to get him his shots before he went to the special ed preschool that they were giving me. And... Um, I actually found a PA there who said, gosh, I think there's more going on. She was lovely. And she set me up to be, to have him um, diagnosed, I guess, or like looked at by the autism center. And so what happened is you went for a day, gave you a bunch of different specialists, a psychologist, a, you know, all the different things, psychiatrist and OT and PT and um, medical doctor. And then two weeks later, you go back for the results. And I remember going back with my husband 
And they brought us in a room with a yellow folder on the table. And I knew, I was like, oh, part of me was also kind of happy for an answer, you know, like, okay, here's what's going on. And um, the psychiatrist there told me that he was, you know, on the moderate side of autism and I should probably think about an institution eventually. And um, they also told me he was never going to graduate from high school. And, you know, being a school teacher and a mom, once they told me that, I was like, oh, no, no way. Yeah, so that changed, you know, that diagnosis changes your life. And it changes your life for the worst in the beginning. And then it's kind of how, how you decide to go for it. Um, but, yeah, it was it's a very tough day. I I think it's been about three years now that I haven't, you know, had that day affect me. It was July 25th. I still know the date. And he was three and a half, and now he's 20 and a half. And um, so it's nice that it's been about three years that it doesn't affect me anymore. Sometimes I don't even remember until it's gone. I'm like, oh, okay. So He's graduated high school. And yes, he graduated school. in 2019. Um, he graduated from Fullerton High School, which is, and he knows, Joe, Joey knows he has autism, and he knows it makes things harder for him. Um, I think when he got into middle school, we kind of talked to him about that. And he even wrote papers about it. I, I should probably share one with you. I mean, beautiful papers about how things are harder for him because of it. In, in high school, he did a lot of that. Um, yeah, and so he was also determined to graduate. Uh, I remember when he signed his last IEP, he was 18 and that was it. And he worked so hard and it was the best day of his life. It was the absolute best day of, of his life. He had actually stepped on a razor blade in the shower <laughs> and had a big old cut in his foot, but he was not going to miss graduation. And um, you know Joey, but he's such a lovable kid. And the, the students at his school just really embraced him. He was part of the theater department. And just, you know, the kids in general were so good to him. And he got a huge applause from the, from the graduating seniors when he graduated. And like, you know, the football player guys were cheering for him and he was, yeah, it was, it was great. It was lovely. And, um, you know, I think we were just all proud that how hard we all worked, you know, your whole family has to work hard to make it, you know, work. So. So mate, everyone that meets him loves him because he's such a good kid. Yeah. Well, he's a lover. Definitely. Would you share with us, um, what were major wins in your journey? Well, I think the very first major win was um, he hadn't spoken a sentence in, you know, two and a half years. And and then I drove past McDonald's and he said, want fries. <laughs> and I was like, ah, okay. And then it became everything. Want Tigger, want this. And, um, and after being in special ed preschool for about six months, he looked me straight in the eye and said, my name is Joey Barboza. And he had never said his name before. And I remember that as clear as the day I can see his little face. And, you know, so those things were such a win. You know, when he, he, his last year of high school, he was on the comedy sports improv team. Okay. I mean, a kid on the spectrum on an improv team. How great is that? And um, he was so proud of that. And yeah, so there's been, there's been a lot of wins, just celebrating his successes, little, little. I think the win of autism, honestly, is that you appreciate the little things that you don't always appreciate as a parent. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. 
So as a BCBA, I know um, the importance of ABA therapy um, and also training therapists. So if you, I know you've experienced a lot of ABA therapy in, in Joey and yours and his dad's journey. What are a couple of things you would tell ABA therapists from your parent perspective? Well, let's see. I would, well, I would tell the companies, first of all, to make sure you really train those people because, um, I have some amazing people um, from the school district and from private companies, and I have some not good people from the school district and from private companies. So I would love for them to be really well-trained. I would love for, um, for them to listen to the parents, you know, but I also want to tell parents, like, you also have to listen to the therapist, you know, and he hated the hardware store for one, some reason. And so I remember that me, Joey, the therapist with her clipboard, and then the therapist supervisor with her clipboard walking around the little hardware store. But, you know, I think that um, therapists need to um, take initiative and encourage things like outings. And uh, I feel like finally they're getting away from having kids introduce themselves, little three-year-olds and shaking their hands like sure. we, yeah. they used to, yeah. because that's not realistic, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think just I, I loved when they took initiative and they had new ideas and they like to keep it interested, you know, and they were always positive because, you know, it's hard when a kid's tantruming a lot. It's hard. But, you know, that makes it so much better. It makes the parents feel like it's it's not their fault because that's a hard one as a parent. Thank you. Um, tell me again about um, how you would expect therapists to interact and engage with parents? Well, I actually enjoyed um, some learning from therapists because honestly, if you don't keep up, you know, if, if you want your child to behave a certain way at the dinner table and you practice it in therapy, but then you let them do whatever they want when the therapist isn't there, you know, we always thought ABA was all the time. That was our life. That was our whole life. Um, and so I would, I loved when the therapists would teach me if they were good therapists, you know, I loved when they would help me, when they would involve us, when they would say, what are your struggles and how can we work on them behaviorally? Because that, you know, that, yeah, Aaron's was a struggle and Joey was an eloper and all those things. And so we worked on all those things. And I liked that they asked me where I needed help. How, cause I like the ones that wanted to make our family life more typical, you know, and let's go out to restaurants. You know how many therapists I took out to a restaurant, <laughs> you know, but that was okay because that's, that's what we like to do. Things like that. What, what activities do you like to do as a family and have them, them come and help you learn how to, you know, manage those. Um, you know, that makes me think there's an article that just came out, uh, not just came out, but came out um, in 2018, okay. where it's talking about that parents, parents should start to suggest and be included in which indicators of progress and outcomes should be measured in young children on the autism spectrum, yeah, right from definitely. the beginning, right? Ask, like, where yeah. you prepared, where parents right. ask you. I'm going to take a moment to highlight you as a mom because one of my favorite Temple Grandin quotes is, you have got to keep autistic children engaged with the world. You cannot let them tune out. And I happen to know that's what you and your husband did for <laughs> <me>, Joe. <laughs> yes. 
and as a teacher, what you embrace in the work that you do. So, you know, I want to talk to you because I've known you since Joe was little and just the journey you've been on and all the work you did as a family. So yeah, that Temple Grandin quote is perfect because we were always talking about we're pulling Joey out of his world and we're making him engage in ours. Yep. And we did it all the time. And and I don't know if it's you who told me this. I think it might have been you or someone else. But not, anything that was his routine that made him comfortable, we mixed it up. You know, we used to go to Disneyland and he wanted to go in a certain order. I think it was you who said, oh, no, change it up. And we did. So we didn't go pirates and then the next ride. We went the, another ride first. And he would tantrum and have a hard time. And then he would get used to it. Now he can go anywhere, do anything. Yeah, we definitely always tried to pull him out. And as he got older, actually, we after a full day of school, we would give him at least an hour to be in his room. And if he had to talk to himself, sometimes that was his stim that he would do. We would let him just to kind of chill out. And then it was like, okay, back to our world. And he was really good at pulling people into his world. Yes. <laughs> he could be like, he could get you to finish his sentences, right? All his, his, uh, his echolalia he had and his you know, TV talk, and whoo, he was good at that. And he was so cute that people would just, he, oh, yes. he would fall for it. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's funny. Well, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. For your time today. I'm so glad to hear your story. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks, Kelly. joining me today. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. So um, I'm so thrilled to have you share your story with um, me and my audience and um, telling us about your journey. So I am, um, I'm 25 years in my career and that makes me really old. <laughs> and so I uh, just, I'm working through just sort of some a journey and I decided to do sort of a retrospective look across the spectrum and this really started when um, I was going through the history of autism and I used to work in Massachusetts and my first job was in 1994 and our job specifically was to move adults that had grown up in the Fernald State School. It wasn't until 1986 when the state started to reorganize and put together different regional centers and move adults out of that institution. So that was my job actually, to move those adults into their own independent living, whether supervised 24 hours or not, but independent living. So these are adults that had never, most never knew their parents. And then, you know, I was taking a look back at, at, at um, California and California um, did the same followed suit and, um, had state schools. And so as early as 1964, parents were told if you had a child with any kind of developmental disability of concern to put them in one of the state schools, uh, state hospitals. And in 64, there were 13,500 adults and children living in the state hospital. Um, it wasn't until 78 into 79 that regional centers started to emerge to help families um, work, keep their children at home and work with them in their home. And um, I've been a BCBA since 2003. 
it was not until 2013 that ABA was covered um, as a therapeutic service in um, California. So you've done this journey um, as a parent. And so I would love it if you'd share with us your story and tell us about... Um, Absolutely, I would love to. My journey began, um, my, my son and my journey began um, in around 90, 93, 94. Um, he is 27, going to be 28 in November. And I knew at about a year, we saw some significant behavior start at about a year. And I didn't think much of it because I was a very young 17-year-old um, single mom. And, you know, I just thought, oh, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I just, you know, need to learn how to parent better. Um, until I took him to his first preschool program. And he was there for probably not even a week. And the preschool teacher took me aside and said, I think your son has autism. And you really need to have him assessed. You should go see a pediatrician or a specialist. And I thought, I don't, I don't even know what autism is. I maybe had heard the word. I'd seen Rain Man, I guess. Um, that was like literally my only experience. And back then, you know, we didn't have Google. We couldn't just search in our search button, autism. What is it? What do you do? You know, I mean, it wasn't as easy. So um, I said, okay, um, made that appointment, took my son in. And, um, you know, back then, it, it wasn't a quick diagnosis. It was more... Um, they would give you a suspected like diagnosis and the only resource really that they provided was speech therapy at that time so he went into a preschool speech program at a private place you know a private facility and that was pretty much it but um in the meantime it wasn't the same doctor that diagnosed him but um his our actual pediatrician at the time i'd taken him in for you know his wellness visit and his shots and he was probably close to three he was um, exhibiting extreme behaviors, uh, nonverbal, um, violent towards um, others, uh, mostly. And um, I, in the doctor's office, the doctor took me aside and, and said, listen, you know, your son will never talk. He'll never be able to be a um, contributing part of society. He's severely handicapped. And, you know, you're a young person it's best for you to just find a facility that he could go to, whether that be an institution or some type of group home situation. But he basically said he will, he, in his own words, said um, he will ruin your life. Um, that, sorry, I get emotional still to this day. Um, today, looking back, I would say that I thank that man because that was probably the fire that I needed. Um, to move to go forward and prove him wrong. So, wow. tell us what he's doing now. So, my son Aries, he's going to be 28 next month. Um, he is uh, still um, significantly impacted. He, he's what you would consider like smack dab in the middle of the spectrum. He has some language abilities. He actually is very, very brilliant, very, very bright, and he has a job. So he works at an ABA firm right now, and he is their number one scanner, filer, organizer. Um, he is one of those, his job coach can teach him 
something one time and sit back and <laughs> just keep an eye on him, make sure that, you know, he's performing his task, but he's very meticulous, he's very um, focused, he's very, um, and he enjoys it, he loves it very much. Um, he also goes to a program out in Brea, California, and uh, he's really thrived there. It's very, it's very social driven. So as most of us know, um, who know a lot about autism know that, you know, social socialization is probably one of the most difficult and challenging things for our kids. So it's just really, he, he's just shown so much growth since he's been in that program. Right. So he's, we're doing good. That's why we, I love do, talking to families that have gone through this journey. So one of the um, goals of this fun project I'm doing is, you know, now that ABA is covered by insurance, um, you know, back then it wasn't. Um, now it is, and insurance companies are dictating to us as practitioners, like what are the what are outcomes that they're expecting? And I found this really interesting article that talked about like why aren't we asking parents? Right? Parents should should suggest what are the indicators of progress and outcome for their children? Right? And you're living proof of that. You um, you set out to prove that that doctor wrong, and look at how far Ari's come. So I wanna ask you, if you could tell ABA therapists, new to the field, or maybe been in the field a long time, as a parent, what what should they do? What, what would you as a parent recommend ABA therapists do, knowing that we really need to start measuring what is success for kids and families by what the parents are looking for? So what advice would you give? Well, I think, I mean, this is such a great question because I can't tell you how many times over the years with all the people that have come in contact with my son and worked with him, um, how many really don't listen to the parent truly listen because um, I, I know my son better than anybody else. And I know what he is capable of and maybe where where he really struggles and maybe where we can't push him, where we can push him and where we can't maybe at that time in life. And I've gone through so many situations where I've had, you know, I've gone to meetings with therapists or IEP meetings when he was younger and the teacher or the therapist would say, oh, he's not able to do that. And I'm, and I would say, no, you, you don't know my son. So I think that listen to the parent, but also really get to know that child as a human and, and, and their potential. What would you tell um, parents, new parents? I, I know you, you talk a lot to new parents. What would you tell them? Oh my gosh, so I would definitely say, first of all, breathe. <laughs> it's okay. It will be okay. Um, <laughs> things will get better. Things will be hard. Things will be so hard that you will think that you can't even get through one more day and they will get better. Um, and I would say really, really, really find a crew, find your group, find your, it could be one girlfriend or one family or, you know, a, a multiple families that know exactly what you're going through that are dealing with the same thing. Somebody you can laugh with, cry with, somebody you could just throw your hands up in the air with. You really need that. And you know, sometimes your own family, I mean, is really, really important, obviously, to have that support system, but sometimes even your own family doesn't understand it. You're out, you know, your yeah. your immediate family who's living with with you know the the child, but 
um, people around. You really need um, a group, a solid group of people that just get it. Your tribe. You need a tribe for sure. You have a huge tribe. I know you could survive without my tribe. Honestly, <laughs> they yes. Yes. And everyone that meets Ari loves him. Oh my gosh, he's the best. He's just the smiliest, like joy, and he's come so far, and I'm so proud of him. So, here's a question I'm wondering: what is what is a successful outcome for you, for Ari? I would say it's changed over the years. You have to be, and that's one thing I would say to parents too. You have to be, you have to be okay with that. You know, of course, when you're he's first diagnosed. Your, your first goal is like, well, I just want him to be able to function like every other child his age. And then when you realize that may not happen, then you, you know, you make little goals along the way. And so here at 28, you know, I would say like our biggest goal right now is obviously um, some type of um, independent living at some point. You know, he's 28, he's living at home with us and we know that that's not sustainable forever. He has some needs too significant to be able to live. He'll, he'll need some kind of care. Um, what that looks like, um, I'm not sure yet. I mean, I have an idea in my head. Um, and that, it, but it changes because, like I said, he surprises me all the time. So, um, you know, obviously that he's in a, a situation when I'm gone where he will be um, loved and cared for and he will be able to do the things he loves to do. He loves to go places, he loves to um, travel. He, he, you know, he's actually really enjoys social um, gatherings. So some, some program or some, um, something that's going to provide that. And I'm still searching, you know, I think that's gonna be a search that we're gonna be looking for a long time. But a place where he's gonna, a home for him a home, a place where he, that he can call home. Yeah. And it's really interesting to me when I think back of all the um, programs I wrote for kids and IEPs I went to, really what every parent really wants is their child to be healthy, happy, safe, and as independent as they possibly can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Have a tribe of their own. Absolutely. Wow. So I actually, I want to take a minute to highlight you. Oh. <laughs> because... <laughs> Um, you know, you, you, um, Temple Grandin has a saying that's my favorite one. She has lots of them, but she has one that says you have got to keep autistic children engaged with the world. You can't let them tune out. And that's what you did, right? You, that's, you created this environment for Ari. I know many of your friends, um, in your group and, you know, you're a model for families that, you know, you really said, no, I won't institutionalize my son. I will do this, and you did it. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this with me and Absolutely. taking the time to share your story. Absolutely. Thank you, Kelly.